The swamp itself is steeped in mystery, holding a wildness that is so increasingly rare in modern life. And there's this fairy-like, ghost-like thing dancing off the edge of a tree. It just deepens the mystery. It deepens the power of those places. There's just nothing like it. And the way it has these curling tendrils and that long nectar stem, the artistry is in the form itself. From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. Welcome to the show. My name is Elizabeth Dowdell. And I'm Tiana Barbara Cross. This week, we're talking about the mysterious ghost orchid. A few months ago, at the Wild and Scenic Film Festival, we watched a documentary called Chasing Ghosts. In it, the film team explores the swamps of Florida in search of an answer to how this mysterious flower, well, flowers, at the top of the episode, you heard a sound bite of the lush swamp forests in which the orchid grows. We thought it was a fascinating story and we wanted to learn more about this ghostly orchid. So we dug into some of the research behind the film and the flower. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge that this episode was produced in Amasquachee, Wiskaigan, Beaver Hills House, Edmonton on Treaty 6 land. CJSR 88.5 FM broadcasts from unrecognized Papas Chase territory, a people who were displaced by the efforts of colonists and colonial governments. Not confined to history, this region is also the present homeland of many first peoples who built their lives here, pursue livelihoods, and gather together, including Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, and Dene. Wherever you are listening from, we ask you to consider whose version of history informs your understanding of the land you're on. about the rare and endangered ghost orchid, the star of the film Chasing Ghosts. Produced by Grizzly Creek Films and Biographic Magazine, this documentary follows the research of Peter Houlihan and his team as they wade through the dark, swampy, nighttime forests of Florida in search of what pollinates the elusive ghost orchid. We'll start with what we already know about the orchid, then take you deep into a story of mystery, theft, poachers, and pollination. Gasp! What an unusual orchid. 
Also known as Dendrophylax lindeni, the ghost orchid is native to Florida and Cuba. The orchid is epiphytic, which means it really understands how you're feeling. Wait, no, I got that mixed up. Epiphytic means that the orchid grows on another plant, like a little hitchhiker. The orchid doesn't have any leaves. Instead, the green roots of the flower that cling to trees collect moisture from the bark they grow on. These green roots also photosynthesize, producing sugar for plant consumption. Because of the lack of leaves and well-camouflaged roots, the ghost orchid sometimes appears to float in mid-air. It's all about this game of enchantment. You know, it's this nondescript, twig-like, leafless plant growing on the side of a cypress tree until it pushes this ephemeral ghost-like flower for the sole purpose of attracting a pollinator. A super specific flower adapted and co-evolved to a super specific pollinator. One of the most unique things about the ghost orchid is that just a few of them actually bloom annually. About 10% of the 2000 orchids in Florida bloom each year revealing ghostly white petals and a fruity scent. In the middle of the flower is a long tube leading to the nectar spur. Like many other flowers, the ghost relies on a pollinator to reproduce with other ghost orchids. A pollinator is an animal that spreads the pollen produced by the male anther of a flower to the female stigma of the same or another flower. This is how the flower gets fertilized. As essential as pollination is for the species, for a long time, the pollination of the ghost orchid had been a mystery. Gasp. Pollinators are important to plant reproduction, but they don't work for free. Hardly anything should. Unpaid internships are not natural and should be banned. But that's beside the point of this episode. Pollinators come to flowers for nectar, a sugary liquid treat that feeds the pollinator. In the process, pollinators landing on the flower will have pollen get stuck to them. As they move on to their next meal, this pollen is carried to and can fertilize the next flower. But orchids provide a special challenge. The tube leading to the nectar spur, where the nectar is stored, can be really long. Too long for many insects to be able to access the nectar, and therefore, not a snack many pollinators are going to go for. This is common to orchid flowers, which have been described as having an elaborate evolutionary arms race with their pollinators. Growing longer and more complicated flower shapes that require equally longer complicated body structures to reach the nectar within. In fact, Charles Darwin, who you may know as the bad guy from the Bible, studied orchid evolution and had this to say, 
Good heavens. What insect could suck it? Gasp. The ghost orchid has a nectar tube that can be over five inches long. Because of this, researchers speculated that the ghost orchid is pollinated by a single species, the giant sphinx moth. Hosidius Antaeus is, as you might expect, a large moth. No, it's not moth or big. In fact, it's only about 12 to 18 centimeters long in wingspan. But that's still pretty big for a moth. And the giant sphinx moth does have a very long tongue, called a proboscis. The moth unrolls this appendage and inserts it into the nectar sac of orchids to get at their sweet center. In the process of doing so, the moth gets so close that it collects pollen, which it then spreads to the next flower. Or so researchers speculated. The ghost orchid is so rare and located in such a hostile environment that humans had never actually seen the ghost orchid being pollinated. Until now. This brings us back to Chasing Ghosts, a documentary about a team of researchers journeying into the swamps of Florida to watch the ghost orchid being pollinated. Having tracked the orchid to a grove of cypress trees, the team set up their cameras to capture what they hoped was evidence of the giant sphinx moth in the act of pollination. In addition to the documentary film, the research team's discovery was published in the journal Nature with the title Pollination Ecology of the Ghost Orchid. Dendrophylax lindeni, a first description with new hypotheses for Darwin's orchids. The team used some novel camera trapping methods, which in research speak means cool, new and very exciting to discover who or what was actually pollinating the ghost orchid. After three seasons setting up cameras and triggers to point at specific individual flowers and spending several nights sitting on a ladder in the swamp waiting for something to happen, the team had no luck, and it was time for a different approach. The TreePod is a custom-built metal platform that allows the camera trigger and sensor array to be suspended in the air. It was placed in a tree known for its super ghost cluster of orchids. With this arrangement, the team was able to detect movement across a larger and now three-dimensional zone. The odds of catching someone visiting the super ghost in the night and getting photo evidence had just increased. With these extensive and novel camera methods, the research team was able to capture some key missing data on how the ghost orchid reproduces. In total, the team collected 6,800 camera hours and 52,173 images, and the findings shocked the world. Yes. Well, shocked the ghost orchid research and enthusiast community, which is still pretty cool. listening to Terra Informa, 
on CJSR. If you are just joining us this week, we're talking about the mysterious ghost orchid and about to share new revelations on how the strange flower is pollinated. This research effort is highlighted in the documentary film, Chasing Ghosts. Just the ones that are about to open is one, two, three, four, but then I count eight more after these four. See what this baby's got. I go up, get to the camera, and I hit play, and I start scrolling through images, and I remember my heart jumping. You get it? Yeah. What? He's right across from me, and I said, Peter, I've got, I've got orange on the flanges. He's like, what? I was like, orange on the wings. <laughs> he looks at this and he goes, dude, you have the first ever photo of a giant sphinx moth at a ghost orchid. Another key finding of the study is one of betrayal, a betrayal that broke hearts around the world, mostly in the ghost orchid research and enthusiast community. Do you remember the giant sphinx moth? the GSM from like five minutes ago? Initially, researchers expected this moth to be the only insect capable of pollinating the ghost orchid. But the study shows that the GSM is actually a traitor. While the GSM does in fact sip nectar of the ghost orchid, the photo evidence shows that it does not actually carry pollen from flower to flower. In essence, the GSM steals nectar by not performing its pollinating function. The shock, the betrayal, the, the gasp. There are multiple frames of this giant sphinx and I started looking at them closely. I zoomed in and looked at the face of this moth and it is covered, just covered with a different kind of pollen, a pollinia most likely from a moon vine. And I'm looking at it even closer and I'm thinking, wow, you know, it's got its proboscis all the way into this flower and yet its face is still an inch or two inches out of the flower. Could it be that the giant sphinx, it's actually robbing nectar from this flower? <laughs> Peter and I were both like, you know? This kind of turns the whole theory on its, on its head. This existing idea that this was the only pollinator is perhaps not actually providing any benefit at all to the flower. And that was a wild moment. The film footage shows that a number of moths actually pollinate the ghost orchid. Two of these species, the fig sphinx and the pawpaw sphinx, were seen with the pollen of the ghost orchid on them. Wow, egg on their face? Well, sperm on their face, I guess, technically. I cycle through a couple more nights and all of a sudden, bam, there is a huge moth right on the lip of this ghost orchid. He's huge. And he was like, so this is a giant sphinx? And I was like, no. And he was just like, damn. And I was like, dude, that's way more interesting. Like, this was never even suspected before. You know, like, I'd never even thought of that fig sphinx being a pollinator. This is great news from a conservation perspective. If the ghost orchid is not reliant on just a single species to pollinate it, then it is more resilient to ecosystem threats. So if the ghost orchid relied on the GSM, and that's what we're calling the giant sphinx moth now, by the way, uh, if the orchid relied on the GSM for pollination 
And if some kind of threat were to reduce or eliminate the GSM population, the ghost orchid would be soon to follow. And by follow, I mean go extinct, right? Right. With multiple species as pollinators, the orchid has some insurance against changes in the ecosystem. This is especially important for the ghost orchid because it has a small population and is endangered in the wild. cultivation of the orchid has also been challenging and frequently unsuccessful. The ghost orchid requires very specific conditions for survival, having adapted to old growth forests and swamp areas. One of the tricky little things about cultivating the ghost orchid is that the seeds will only germinate if they're infected with a specific fungus. This fungus provides energy for germination. In a symbiotic relationship, which is a type of close and long-term biological interaction between two different organisms. The fungus then grows on the orchid's roots. These symbiotic relationships can be mutualistic, where both organisms benefit, commensalistic, where one is neutral and one benefits, or parasitic, where one benefits and one is actually harmed. The organisms, each termed a symbiont, must be a different species. In the wild, the ghost orchid lives on moist, corrugated tree bark that harbors the symbiotic fungi. Adding to the conservation threats facing the ghost orchid is a seedy criminal underbelly that seeks the elusive flower. Poachers try to find and sell these flowers, which are highly sought after for their rarity and possible drug effects. That's right. There is a black market floral industry trading ghost flowers in shadowy alleyways, opening their trench coats to reveal the poached orchids. Gasp. Or so I assume anyway. In fact, several years ago, three people were actually arrested attempting to remove valuable air plants and orchids from the Fakahache Strand State Preserve, including three ghost orchids. This story was the basis for Susan Orlean's 1998 nonfiction book, The Orchid Thief, and the 2002 movie adaptation starring, gasp, Nicolas Cage. Not to spoil this 23-year-old book, but the title references horticulturalist John LaRoche, who exploited a loophole allowing Native Americans to remove endangered species from protected areas. The court case against LaRoche is central to the book, but so are the many orchid dealers that Orlean meets while investigating the case. The passion and obsession of these flower connoisseurs is inspiring, but also makes it clear that some will stop at nothing in pursuit of rare blooms. Several jurisdictions housing habitat for the ghost orchid have installed cameras and other methods to prevent poachers. Poaching not only removes orchids from the wild environment, but because the ghost orchid is so adapted to their home, removal results in the flower's death. Yes. Okay, we need to take a minute here and talk about orchids. Yes, the ghost orchid is rare and pollination is this big mystery. It's endangered, blah, blah, blah. Any orchid can lead to obsession. Orchids seem to affect people profoundly. It's almost like potato chips. It seems like you can't have just one. To me, 
It's beautiful because it embodies orchid opulence. It's kind of shiny. It's almost beautiful and gross at the same time. And the thing is, it's wicked. I also think one of the reason people are so drawn to orchids is they almost seem like they have a face, like they have some quality of life that a typical flower doesn't have. There's one orchid called a clown orchid because people see a little figure of a man in the middle. There's another orchid that you can often buy in florist shops called a dancing lady orchid because it looks like a cloud of 18th century ladies in full skirts all dancing. Orchids are a slippery slope. Once you start, it can be hard to stop, given there are over 28,000 known species of orchid. The original orchid craze can be traced back to the 1800s and was actually coined orchid delirium. During this intense orchid coveting phase, collectors would pay thousands of dollars for rare orchid types. Being rich and elite, uh, often royalty, the orchid collectors of the 1800s also built large, heated, or ornate greenhouses to show off their exquisite flowers. It kind of makes you wonder when the plant is named for the Greek word orchis, which means testicle. Although apparently the name has more to do with the way the plant's tubers look and isn't really about the flower. The orchids you find at the local plant shop today, and maybe we recommend Little Plant Shop Yeg, are most often clones from a type of moth orchid or Phalaenopsis. This makes the plants far more affordable to the average plant owner, but no less enticing. Today, there is a large market for orchids with breeding research focused on genetics. Rare genetically blue orchids have been cultivated, and rumor has it some breeders are playing God with squid DNA to make glow-in-the-dark orchids. Breeding innovations and a growing genetic database also help with orchid conservation and the discovery of more symbiotic fungi-orchid relationships. This research could help orchid populations to thrive right where they live, in the wild. Now, back to our obsession this episode, the ghost orchid. ghost orchid story was fascinating, especially with the recent research and revelations about the orchid and the moths that pollinate it. This knowledge also serves an important purpose. By learning more about the ghost orchid's life cycle, we can create better conservation efforts to protect this rare, endangered, and hauntingly beautiful species. The revelations of the study are clear. To protect the ghost orchid, we need to protect the old growth swamp forests that house them. These swamp forests provide the safest and best places for the orchids to survive, along with many other rare species. Places like Fakahachi Strand State Preserve, where you can find the highest diversity of orchids in the entire USA, also provides habitat for Florida panthers, wood stork, 
fox squirrel, and Everglades mink. This forest has a unique combination of trees that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. Like rare ecosystems around the world, this habitat is being threatened, particularly the water flows in the swamps of Florida, which have been altered by upstream development. Low-lying areas are also susceptible to threats from rising sea level and hurricanes. The ghost orchid population has been declining for a while now, and based on a 2015 paper published in the journal Biotropica, could go extinct in the short term due to hurricanes and similar disturbances. We hope this episode has taught you a little bit about the mysterious ghost orchid. One of the most interesting flowers in North America, the story of chasing ghosts shows how, even after centuries of exploration and scientific study, we have yet to learn everything about the flora and fauna we share this planet with. This episode, we learned about the ghost orchid, but we also learned a few other things. We learned what an epiphytic plant is, a plant that uses another plant as a growing medium, what a pollinator is, an animal, including insects, that transfers pollen from male to female flowers, and what a symbiotic relationship can look like, commensalistic, mutualistic, or parasitic. We also learned a little bit about camera trapping, a method used to capture rare or rarely seen animal behavior and actions. As we continue learning about the mysterious and incredible world around us, we hope you're inspired to help protect the wondrous species and spaces in it. watch Chasing Ghosts, the documentary featured in this episode, you can find a link in our show notes on our website. We also sampled from the BBC Sounds Natural Histories program on orchids. That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening. This has been Tiana Barbercross and Elizabeth Dowdell. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM. And all our content is created by a team of volunteers. This episode was written by Sonic Patel, edited by yours truly, Elizabeth Dowdell, and produced by Charlotte Thomason. You can reach us for comments or questions via email, tara at cjsr.com, or message us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Tara Informa. For previous episodes, check out our website, terrainforma.ca. We'll catch you next week, right here on Terra Informa. Yeah, that looks like a ghost. If that was just floating in the night, I'd be terrified. Mm. It's kind of um, this beautiful white flower that kind of looks like, you know, those stereotypical like flower caps that fairies wear in like all of those illustrated children's movies. I feel like it looks like it's wearing one of that. 
this a little ghost mm-hmm. with what to me looks like really long legs. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, he's got a little triangle body, and then like these two long wispy circle or heart shaped legs. But then like he's got two arms out to the side and this giant slightly green hat. But all the rest of him's white. I don't know why I'm saying him. The flowers are obviously female. And then they've got this little face and these little dark eyes in the middle. And you're like, she is looking at me. I know, especially when they have these groups of the orchids. Imagine coming across just a group of these tiny little, uh, what look like kind of white little ghosts or fairies in the middle of the night. Yeah. Oh my gosh. In the dark, in the night, if I stumbled on like that cluster of them, I'd be like, yeah, I'm disappearing for 200 years. The fairies are taking me. I could see fairy orchid. It's white. I get ghost, but boy. You know, it'd be like, yep, the fae have come to take me. I guess I'll accept my fate. 